You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Job chapter 34. Verses 1 through 4, Elihu appeals to the other three comforters. After a two-chapter introduction to his speech, Elihu, the fourth and final advisor to Job, now addresses the three men who had spoken to Job at length in his hearing, but had failed to convince Job to admit the sin he was hiding that drew the wrath of God on his life. They had also failed to comfort Job and come to some conclusion about why these calamities had befallen him. He recognized they were old and wise, men of learning, and addressed them as such. He invited them to discern what was right and good along with him, for the ear tests words as the tongue tastes food. Verses 5-9, through nine, Elihu misquotes Job. Like people who make straw men arguments by misrepresenting someone's beliefs or position or character or actions, and then proceeding to tear them apart, Elihu first misquotes Job so that he can refute the outrageous things he has supposedly said. Sometimes he takes portions of his comments, sometimes he attributes the words of the other men to Job, and still other times he misquotes him completely. Job did not claim to be without sin, only innocent of some great hidden sin. He did not feel God had denied he did feel God had denied him justice and was afflicting him. Elihu is so shocked by this that he says he's never met anyone like Job before, who is despicable and contemptible. This after affirming he was on Job's side. He falsely charges Job with associating with wicked people and evil doers. He says that Job had concluded there was no profit in trying to please God, so he had given up and turned to evil. Verses 10 through 15, Elihu extols God's holiness, ju- judgment, justice, and power. Previously, Elihu explained that God intended spiritual benefit to Job from his trials. Now he explains that God does him no wrong by bringing these trials into his life. Having determined, like the others, that Job was a guilty hypocrite, he proceeds to explain that God was not unjust because he was too holy to do anything wrong or evil. And that was true. Elihu knew some good theology. And this is a basic principle to keep in mind when things happen that we don't understand. In all the universe, even when God allows sinful people to do as they please, they are still responsible for their own actions and accountable to God for them, because he created them. We see this affirmed in Genesis 18.25, where Abraham asks the rhetorical question, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And James 1.13-15, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Further, in Elihu's defense of God's character, he insists that as the judge of the universe, he repays everyone for what they have done, he brings on them what their conduct deserves. And this is taught many places in scripture, but two are Proverbs 24.12, If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? And Revelation 22.12 
says, Look, I am coming soon, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Sins may go unpunished, and good deeds go unrewarded, but there will be a day of reckoning. And sometimes this occurs in this life, but most assuredly it will happen at the final judgment. Not only is God the judge, he is a just judge, who is never blinded by a bribe or is not in possession of all the facts in a case. Elihu says, It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. To prove that his is the highest court, he asks a rhetorical question. Who appointed him over the earth? Who put him in charge of the whole world? The answer is no one. And the doxology in Romans 11:33 to 36 is beautiful. O oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He is sovereign. You can't be a little bit sovereign like you can't be a little bit pregnant. You either are or you aren't. R.C. Sproul says that if there is even one rogue molecule in the universe, then God is not sovereign. Then he argues that the power of God is so great that if it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. He has almighty power and could kill and even annihilate everyone if he should so choose. He could do this simply by thinking it. Man wasn't alive until God put breath in his nostrils, and the minute God withdraws it, they die. No one has the power to stay alive a moment longer than his allotted time. Verses 16 through 20, God is just and impartial. Elihu warns against condemning God. He is the one to condemn kings, nobles, and princes. They are nothing compared to him. He shows no partiality and does not favor the rich over the poor. And the reason is because they are all the work of his hands or his creation. Job recognized this in 31.15 when he asserted that he had not mistreated his servants because he and they had a common creator. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Deuteronomy 10.17 People of high standing think they are so powerful, but they cannot keep themselves alive. Elihu says they die in an instant in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and they pass away. The mighty are removed without human hand. As an oncology nurse for 30 years, I can tell you that although it's not a scientific fact, many people do die in the middle of the night around 3 a.m. And also, here's another phrase from the Bible, pass away. Verses 21 through 28, God is omniscient. Elihu reminds his listeners that the eyes of God are on the ways of mortals, and he sees their every step. There is no deep shadow or utter darkness where evildoers may hide. By saying this to Job, he is encouraging him to stop hiding his great sin and just confess it. Unlike human courts and human judges who must investigate and examine evidence, God has no need to examine people further since he already knows all aspects of the case perfectly. 
Without further inquiry, he removes one and sets up another in their place. He is described as taking note of their deeds in the sense of recording them. Then Elihu says he overthrows them in the night and they are crushed. The word overthrow is usually used in scripture in a military context to describe what the victor does to the defeated foe. He speaks to them, speaks of them being punished by God for their wickedness where everyone can see them. They may have thought their deeds were concealed, but their judgment will be public. And the reason for their judgment? Because they turned from following him and had no regard for any of his ways. They caused the cry of the poor to come before him, so that he heard the cry of the needy. Exodus 22.23 says, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Remember, Elihu sounds as if he's speaking about some wicked man in general, but his words are directed towards Job. He thinks Job is this wicked man who has turned from following God and has caused the poor and needy to cry out to God on account of his mistreatment of them. But Job had already refuted that charge. Verses 29 to 33. God decides who will see him and how long his trial lasts. Elihu tells Job that if God chooses to remain silent, man can do nothing about it. If God chooses to remain unseen, who can find him? He reigns over individuals and nations for their good. God is not controlled by men, nor does he consult with them. If he chooses to chastise, he will decide when it has been enough. He is acknowledging that sometimes God's ways are mysterious to us, and sometimes his silence is just silence. God has not disclosed everything. We see this in Deuteronomy 29.29. Therefore, we are left with only one option, trust and obey. Verses 34 to 37. Elihu concludes that Job is a wicked and rebellious man. Elihu feels Job, far from being overwhelmed by judgment and calamity from God, has not been chastised enough. He says he speaks without knowledge, his words lack insight. He wishes that Job would be tested to the utmost because he has answered like a wicked man. As if his sin wasn't enough, he is also rebellious to God and scornful towards his friends and speaks too much against God. And Elihu was the man who claimed to be on Job's side, wanting to vindicate him? Scarlet Threads so what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Elihu reminds his listeners that the eyes of God are on the ways of mortals and he sees their every step. People often think their deeds are hidden by the darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5.7 says, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But they will not be hidden forever. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Elihu says God takes note of what is done and records it, and this is done. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion Series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Job chapter 35. May God bless the study of his word.